I've been the guy, if you will, my whole life uh, as far as a leadership role. Welcome to the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Each interview, we talk to leaders who differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. These conversations lead to thought-provoking idea sharing and growth accompanied by entertaining storytelling. Welcome along on our journey to lifelong learning, improve performance, and a look inside the competitive mindset. The Greatest Games Podcast interviews coaches of all levels about the greatest games they have ever been a part of. Chris and Brian post two episodes per week that explore these great games and also takes a dive into each coach's journey and some lessons that they have learned along the way. Catch The Greatest Games Podcast on all podcast platforms as well as thegreatestgames.podbean.com. EK, welcome to The Competitive Mindset. Hi, Billy. It's great to have you. Before I get to the tough <laughs> questions for you, can you give yeah. us a walk through your journey in life and how it's led you to what you're doing now? Absolutely. Well, it's great to be on with you, Billy. You know, um, I turned 60 this year, and um, I've been in sports you know, for a career for over 30 years. I can honestly say I heard Coach Alvarez say it you know, in, in his retirement. I feel like I haven't worked a day in my life because of my passion, you know, uh, for sport. So my career, you know, 1989, um, I, I started my career over from 1985 to 89. I lived in five states, had 11 different jobs and um, just couldn't connect my career, you know, to my passion, which is, you know, sport. So I'd started my career in 1989. I moved to Northern Virginia and I was working for uh, Merle Harmon. Merle Harmon was the voice of the Brewers uh, with Bob Euchre. He worked for NBC Sports and he had a franchise franchising operation called Merle Harmon's Fanfare. So I, I lived in Virginia, Northern Virginia for five years and, uh, you know, just, you know, small company. Uh, there was only 40 employees. So I had exposure to a lot of multiple different roles. And uh, in 1994, I moved back to Wisconsin. So I'm from Wisconsin, grew up in Menominee Falls. And, um, you know, at the time um, I was I was married for uh, got married in 1992, been married for 30 years next spring. And my wife, Janine, and I said, you know, we want to come back to Wisconsin. There's no better place to you know raise uh, a family. And at that point time, she was, um, you know, just uh, starting her undergrad at, at Carroll University. And uh, then my nine-year history of working for Merle Harmon, it was just a bell curve of a business. You know, our our product from the NBA, from the NFL, from baseball, from hockey, and college was just on fire. But in the end, uh, baseball struck in '94. And it just changed the dynamic of that business and this franchising business that we had. Um, so long and short of it, which is the best to come, is I had an opportunity to move out, move again to Utah. And my wife was just graduating then from Carroll. Um, and I, we didn't want to move because we moved back again to start a family. So I took a job with Nike Retail. Uh, in March of 1998, March 16th, as cliche as it is, the rest is history, because I've worked for Nike now for 23 years and have had an unbelievable career. And we can dig into that as much as you like, because I have much to share. 
Yeah, we definitely are going to dig into that. But let's rewind a little bit to before everything you just mentioned. What do you remember about competition in the youth? And what do you remember about the first time you participated in a competition and what you remember drawing you to it? My love for sports is also because I'm an athlete and I'm an athlete to this day. It really, I'll probably go back to middle school when I first started going to basketball camps. And um, I was fortunate enough to be, have access to um, to go down McGuire camps. Um, so Marquette was a big part of my family's history when I was growing up. My parents, who are still living today, they're 93 and 90. They're huge sports fans. Um, you know, we yeah, we were season ticket holders for 38 years for Marquette, and um, so we I had access to you know, go to uh, Al McGuire camp. So that that's was my first taste of, you know, competing and with guys I didn't know too, you know. So in seventh grade, I went to Al McGuire camp. Sixth and seventh grade, I went to Al McGuire camp. And then when I was uh, in eighth grade, I went to a basketball camp in uh, Three Lakes, Wisconsin. And I talk about this all the time um, because it was a two-week basketball camp. You know, and I was what, 14 away from home. And my roommate, Dan Rupar, he was a year younger than I. And we were competing against all kids from Illinois because it was Ray Myers basketball camp. Yeah. So Ray was the, the head coach at DePaul University. And my dad, my dad sold steel for his career and his territory was, you know, state of Illinois, but Chicago. And he knew a guy, Joey, um, or Pete Perone. And Pete Perone, because they were a private school, DePaul, he actually bought the uniforms for DePaul. And he connected me to Ray. And Dan and I got to go to this camp, which was in Wisconsin. And Billy, all these guys thought that Dan and I were just these farmers. They thought we were these farm kids. And here it is two weeks into the camp or after, you know, there's a big all-star game and, and Dan and I are on the all-star teams. Uh, it was just unreal. And so it was just cool to, to compete at that level. And you're playing against kids who most of them grew up in the, you know, in, uh, in Chicago city of Chicago. And again, they thought Roops and I were just these farm kids and, and we were ballers just like they were. So you know, yeah, I, 13, 14, that was the start of competition for me. When it's interesting there, you reference a bit of like an underdog mindset and, you know, the perception of who you were as a player and as a person to these other people and then overcoming that, you know, to being on the all-star team and succeeding and what you wanted to accomplish there, I think is a huge aspect of a lot of people's success is, okay, there's some sort of slight, whether it's perceived or real, and how can I be driven to prove you wrong, essentially? Right. Yeah, you know, I just I I don't want to get too far ahead, but I just raced this weekend in a bike race. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. So so now you're into cycling, right? Biking, cycling, and yeah. How did you transition to that briefly before we get into what you want to talk about with like your competitiveness with biking? How did you transition into this sport? I've always been active. In the '80s, you know, running came to you know the states and. One of the, the founder of Nike actually was a big, uh, uh, you know, driver of bringing running to, you know, North America, to the United States. And, um, I was a freshman in college 
So, um, you know, I got into marathon running, but um, as I, and when I was marathon running, I was, I wasn't just doing uh, the road work uh, from running. I was cycling too, but um, I in 2006, I met a group of people through the Waukesha YMCA um, called the Waukesha Riders, and I started riding with them. And and I I didn't have a high end road bike, but I had a um, the bike that I had. It helped me with my training when I was doing those marathons. And I just got into cycling because um, one, it's it's a lot easier as you get older on your joints. So I've had you know minor challenges with you know meniscus tears in each knee and. I love cycling too, because in the state of Wisconsin, we have some of the best road and off-road uh, cycling in, in the U.S. And um, so I've just had an unbelievable run. And this past weekend, we just raced around Lake Winnebago, a 90-mile race, four of us. And, uh, it, you know, five little over five hours on the saddle and the, the dynamics of that, even though you're not you're not really – racing against anyone you know there's there's multiple waves in that and there's pros that go out first but uh and we're we're your wave nine averaging you know it's 18 miles an hour but i can out if you want to hear i can tell you just the dynamics of that race because it was i mean that's it's my favorite event of the year it's it's an actual race we race it all the other times i'm doing rides for charity net for multiple sclerosis as an example I'm on a steering committee for the Lad Lake Kettle Classic for Lad Lake. So, I mean, sports is my passion and cycling has just been great because, uh, you know, I started my own cycling club in 2013 called the Kettle Marine Cycling Club. And it just brings people together. And I've met some, you know, wonderful people through it, too. So take me inside your mindset and what sort of information you're thriving on when you are in the saddle in the race setting that you just talked about. And basically what I'm getting at is what drives you to continue to go back to doing that? Um, well, for one, I don't take it for granted that I can do it, you know? Um, and, um, I feel very blessed to be able to ride as hard as I do. But when I'm, when I'm on the bike and, you know, just to give you the dynamics of, of the race this past Sunday, you know, there's four of us racing and, you know, we're heading north and there's a headwind the whole way. And so it was, it was just honest. And if you've, if you've ever watched any cycling, professional cycling, you know, there's a, there can be a rotation if you're riding as a team, you know, so you can draft and, you know, there's no one that does it better than my team. And, and, you know, I'm the leader of that. That's, you know, I've, I've been, the guy, if you will, my whole life, uh, as far as a leadership role, but we had this headwind, you know, for the first 45 miles. And as we were going North, you know, there's 20 to 30 riders, Billy behind us, just sucking our wheel um, because of our draft. And, um, you know, so we did, we were doing a ton of work. um, But I, I love that feeling that we're pulling all these people. And once we got to, uh, uh, High Cliff State Park, um, you know, again, that's only halfway through the race. Then we had a, uh, a tailwind from 45 to 65. But at 45, it's about the team. At 45, I'm like, where's my friend John? 
And um, so I pull out of this big group of people and someone says, hey, your guy's back there. He's cramping. So, yeah. So I'm and he's a big guy. He's about 6'2", 240. And um, I come back to him and he's cramping. And, and we have the, the biggest hill of the course coming up where you're actually just spinning up it, going about seven miles an hour. And I came back to him and I love doing that when you have a team because, you know, two years ago, another teammate cramped and he's like, just go, I'll finish this on my own. I'm like, no way. You, you, you can't finish this on your own and enjoy it. So I brought John back up the hill and you know what? He gutted it out, you know, for the next 45 miles and was, he was in pain. Yeah. But as a team, the four of us, you know, we pulled it together. And one of the individual riders that we had on our team, we met her two years ago and she was on the course out there by herself. And we, I say rescued her and she rode it in with us. Now this year she rode with us and she said, this was the best race to like uh, experience she's ever had. So that's very fulfilling to me. And I know we're going to talk about competition in that and, and, you know, but that's just very fulfilling to me that, we can provide, you know, we, and I can lead that experience, you know, and then at age 60, you sure we're getting older, but man, we, everyone reflected on the race and we're like, man, this is what we're going to do next year. We, we, we definitely need more people, you know, to share the load, but it is a pretty great experience that you go competitively within that group that you're like, you know, your chest bump and you're like, Hey man, we just rode 90 miles in over 50 miles, over five hours and at 17.2 miles an hour. And I've done even bigger rides. I've ridden across Wisconsin three times, you know, in one day, you know? So I love cycling. The yeah. biggest thing that came out of that was your beaming about the team and, and having to, you know, go back and assist your cramping teammate. And yeah. so I want to kind of pull this back to Nike now with your team. So you're the head coach at the Nike clearance store in Johnson Creek, Wisconsin, which is where we met in 2008. And that team is ever evolving because you have lots of people coming and going all the time. So can you walk me through your greatest challenge in keeping that team dynamic, a positive energetic one, even though it's always evolving? You know, I have a leadership team of eight people. And I'm, I'm fortunate that the volume of the store, you know, supports that. And, um, I really, you know, the, the best part of my job is people development and, uh, you know, my, my whole career and, you know, over 23 years, you know, I don't know, you just realize, and it's so fundamental, but I, I love what I do because of sport. I love what I do because Nike values people. And, you know, you saw that this past you know, almost two years now during the pandemic, how our company shows up, how I show up to my team and how my leadership team shows up to our athlete team. So at Nike, you know, our um, employees are called athletes. Um, so that uh, we always say no one does team you know better than better than Nike. And as tough as this past year has been. Um, and, and I needed to be that leader more than ever because I just sensed 
um, you know, my, my leadership team, you know, going down a rabbit hole that if, if they're going down this rabbit hole, it's going to impact the, you know, the whole, the whole, um, you know, the whole team. Um, but, you know, I've, I've have, I have a real tenure team, as you know, I've, I've got leaders that have been with working with me for 23 years, 20 years, 10 years. Yeah. But there's always been a core group that are interested in careers with Nike and, and, uh, and they've started their careers in Johnson Creek and now they're, you know, working for the brand and uh, whether it's a different retail location or working at the world, world headquarters. Um, and seven months ago, I launched TK's timeout and TK's timeout is, um, it's a, a monthly collection of, of bringing people together who came through Johnson Creek or I just had this, um, amazing massive group of my circle of influence um and uh, we meet once a month just to just to talk like this and uh and what it is they're inspirational motivational people that are just passionate about what they do whether they work for the brand or nike or the organizations they work for so um yeah so you mentioned the rabbit hole that your leadership team was going down and you needed to be the leader for them can you pull out maybe one tool that you use to pull them out of the rabbit hole to keep you progressing and moving forward in the direction that you needed your store and the company in general to be moving towards? Well, communication is a big thing. You know, just checking in with your leaders and what, what do they need from me and what do they, and, and, and that to our leadership team, they're having that same type of, you know, communication, but also understanding when you put that aside, which is a huge part of understanding how people are feeling, that we still have you know, that goal, uh, that we have a business to run. And, uh, and that's easier said than done, right? Because you have, I have seven other leaders and they're, it's a diverse group of people. Um, but communication and, and just seeking to understand how they're feeling. Um, and then, but in the end, to pull that group together through our weekly leadership meetings, um, uh, and, and what we have to get after. And it's been challenging, you know, for, uh, all of our Nike stores. Um, you know, for sure. I can say for my team, for our store in Johnston Creek, as challenges it's been, it's been the most rewarding. It's been the most rewarding because of, not just that communication, but the character of these people, you know, they, they, they flat out care about each other. They care about this team of people. And that's why we always say, you know, we just had two interviews this week and interviews are hard to come by right now. Um, but I know in that zoom interview that we had with these two applicants that, and, uh, just how we stand out as, as a brand and how we show up to people. And it's no different from that interview to how we show up daily in the store that you can only imagine, uh, you can't imagine what everyone's gone through. But again, in the end, we still have a business to run. You know, and uh, if, if that team of leaders are intact, um, it's amazing, you know, what you can still get after in the most challenging time. So you just mentioned the, the business that you have to run and there are certain metrics. I'm not going to go bore people with, you know, the different metrics, but 
we had basic meetings once a day say, hey, we want to hit these numbers, these metrics today. So they were short benchmarks to read an reach an ultimate goal, which was a quarter or a year benchmark of service sales, whatever it might be. And so I, I want to circle this back a little bit to competition because you mentioned this a few times. You said, I'm the guy in the leadership role. And, yeah. and one of the Kobe Bryant things that always stands out to me is leadership can be a little bit lonely because everybody's looking to you for the answer and you need to be steadfast and confident and make your decision and go with whatever your decision is. So when you're competing in the store to meet your marks, are you driven by the fear of losing or the joy of winning and meeting those marks? Yeah, I was interested in prepping for you know, the podcast and looking at your notes. It it's definitely uh, it's never been about the fear of losing for me. You know, it it is um about the joy of winning and and I'll be uh, transparent too. You know, over thirty years, um, successful years in uh, in sports, there's times where you get tired of being the guy because. You know, not only am I the guy, you know, for my business, I'm the guy for my family. You know, I'm the pillar for my family. I have twin girls who just graduated college and I'm helping them navigate their futures. And, you know, I, and I do that as, as a passion of mine for people development, not just for Nike, but for outside of my business. It's something that I really enjoy to do. But at, there are, and I, I launch a cycling club, you know, and, and I, I bring people together, you know, for that. So there's times where I'm like, man, you know what? I get, I, I'm, I'm tired of being the, I'm tired of being the guy. But, um, I think in, in, in the end, it's, it's what I've been gifted with and, and how, um, you know, I can lead people and be that genuine, uh, just the fundamentals of being genuine, transparent, um, and uh, and authentic. But I think if you look at my, at my history, there's a reason that I'm, I'm in my my leadership role. And and also, I guess from a competitive standpoint, you know, it's put me in that position to to be the head coach of the Nike Clearance Store, and and to sustain that level of success. Um, and I, that's my competitive advantage. Not everyone can be the leader and you're young in your career, um, but you and, and the podcast, the people you connect with and you talk about leadership and um, there's there's a reason why, you know, you people have this success. Not everyone, never, not everyone can be the leader, but the best part of being a leader is the, the team that you surround yourself with. and. And it's not about the fear of losing. It is there's and and there's examples of you know failure that you go through, but in the end, when you're goal setting and you're realistic with that goal setting and checking off those boxes, you you there the team celebrates those victories, you know. So you mentioned in there being the pillar for a variety of avenues and people looking up yeah. to you, and that becomes tiresome. So a little bit of a thought process with motivation here, because you have to motivate yourself to make sure your people surrounding you are, are motivated as well. When you get in your car to go to the store for whatever day it is, and you have that time to reflect and maybe prepare for your day, what's your motivation for leading that day? And how did you discover what that motivation is? 
Well, I just talked about, you know, prepping, you know, just prepping even for your podcast. And I just, before I got, I came on with you, I had a, a two hour training ride on my bike and, and I was just thinking about, um, you know, the podcast and thinking about my relationship with you and your wife, Naya. And I'm, I'm a very detailed person. So uh, while I have a game plan for each day, um, I, I think also about being the leader that you have to be ahead of your team. You know, um, and there's definitely uh, with eight leaders on your team, they all have different responsibilities. But my my role is to not only function for the day, but to get ahead of it and, and plan ahead of it. Um, and that's just something that I that I've always uh, have done. So when I'm driving to work, you know, what I know what my plan is for the day. And, and I before we started the podcast today, it's hard for me to turn off my head. There's always that space where I'm thinking about things to, as a leader, to provide that leadership for my team about, you know, this next, you know, our second quarter, September, October, November, and, and planning. So my ride to work is really, um, listen to sports talk radio, you know, but again, I draw so much, you know, uh, from that. And it's not, and it's, and I always say, Billy, it's not about TK. It, it's about others and that because that is my gift is to be able to impact others you know so you just talked about game planning looking ahead which i think is a huge yeah. aspect of leaders so that takes making up your mind about something and determining mm -hmm. your course or your path so what's something yeah. that you've changed your mind about recently that you previously believed man this is the way to do it this is how i'm going to attack this but then upon further evaluation or going down that path, you realize, oh, man, I got to switch courses here. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a that's interesting. I can give you an example and I hope it I'll I'll, I'll, I'll say this, Billy, that because I'm, I'm a mentor to a lot of people. And I and again, I provide a lot of direction for career development for people, not just for Nike, but outside of Nike. One of my Nike colleagues had an opportunity to um, be in a position. Um, it's through our academy program. So people in my role get to go to campus um, and experience different uh, jobs. And after, um, you know, a full year of being in like four different jobs, you're going to land in something working at our world headquarters. Well, this individual said something to me that really stood out that the job that she got coming out of the academy she had no idea that there was that job even existed nor that she would be doing it and and i've used that to share with people um about developing their careers that because the job that she's doing they actually created the role for her because of her retail experience so i remember talking to her one day and i'm like wow it was just really profound because uh she's doing something that she had no idea she would be doing and to be open to it you know and i think in in career development too especially when you're developing your career you know I, there's things maybe that are part of your goal setting but maybe to your point that and it's not, this is something that you didn't see yourself doing. And, and, and when we're, we're so focused on that, you're like, oh, I, I can't do that. But maybe 
you can and who knows what comes from it, you know, what what it opens you up to. So having that mindset, first off, if someone's presenting you an opportunity, hey, check, man, that's a that's cool that they recognize that in you. And that's what leadership does too, right? You know, you see people and you see their their skill sets, but also you as a leader, you want to challenge them and say, hey, Billy, you know, you're great at the four, but we need you at the five. You know, we need you at the five. And, uh, you know, and it's not the, it's not that it's the, uh, it's the next man up. This is what the team needs right now. And you're like, I can't play center. You know, why am I going to play the center? I, you know, that's not my role, but so, yeah, that's my thought, you know? Well, and that's interesting because I, and I don't really enjoy the question when you get asked, well, where do you see yourself in five years? And, and my rebuttal, oh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my rebuttal worse. is I can't tell you because the process and the journey is going to dictate where that ends up. Right. You know, you're sharing this story and didn't even know that this role existed and kind of counter to that would be things happen to us in an adverse way that move us or shape us in, in a way that helps us get somewhere that's actually a better path that we can never even imagined for ourselves. So this is lining me up to talk about failure. What's the favorite failure? Not that it was good or you liked it, but your favorite failure in your life that directed you to something that was a positive that you didn't know existed. Yeah, you know, I'm going to go down this path and and I don't I don't know if you even know my my history. You know, I I was challenged with drugs and alcohol, you know, as a uh coming out of high school into college. And it, it was definitely getting into my my way and of of launching my career, and it and and it just circling back to you know eleven jobs, five different states. I just wasn't in a great place, and so I I had a lot of failure. You know, I I had a, a lot of failure, and um, at age twenty six, I went through a a ten week um, rehabilitation program for uh, drugs and alcohol addiction. And it changed my life. I was, and I'm so blessed that at age 26 that I was able to recognize, you know, at, at the history of, of of failures and going through a 12-step a, a program through AA. And I, and because of that, and I, when I speak to that, I have, I, I haven't worked a day in my life because of sports, but I've also had, I've also had that peace. I've had that piece of, hey, there's a higher power out there, and and I I'm a Christian. I have a deep faith, and you know what? Um, that's my guiding principle every every day. So it's been unbelievable. You know, it it really has. And and we should talk just about you know coming to work at Nike, moving back to Wisconsin, and working for Nike. I I started my job at Nike to move out to World Headquarters. But we moved back to raise our kids, and Janine gets her undergrad in '98. I just start with Nike, and halfway through working for Nike in my career, I, I was looking at other organizations, and I could not replace what I had. And I said, you know what? It's in God's hands. It, it really is. And I've had an unbelievable career with Nike, and and it keeps it, it keeps evolving too, which is awesome as when I start to talk about, yeah, what does the next 10 years look like for me? You know, I, I still want to work. 
I still want to work because I'm, you know, it's not that I'm hungry. I just have, I love what I do and I'm, you know, and I, and I'm working for one of the best companies in the world to, to boot. So. Okay. So you just hit on this a little bit and I'm going to probably limit you just <laughs> to two here because I know there's a bunch, but let's talk about core yeah. values. Can, can you give me two of your core values and, and talk to me a little bit about how you implement them with your team at Nike? I spoke earlier about, you know, being authentic, genuine, and transparent, you know, just the way you can show up to people and, and, uh, and, and keep it real like that. I just think that matters. And, uh, I don't, I don't know. You've heard the word servant leadership, right? I know people have talked about that, um, you know, this last two years. And, um, I, I know our CEO of Nike, you know, was recognized um you know, summer of 20 as number one for corporations for his servant leadership and i've always been i've always been that person that um you know can connect to people just to and being very transparent and uh and being very genuine you know and and i i spoke earlier about the our interview process this week of interviewing people i always say if you know, to uh, applicants uh, that if you think this is just a job, it's not the right place for you because there's so much more to it, you know, and it that's so much passion I have for our employee experience. So, you know, and that's why I'm, I'm so aligned with what I do and working for Nike because of my passion for sport, but also, you know, those core values, you know, and as far as how you show up and how you treat people in a very authentic and genuine way. Yeah. Lead, lead by example and and be there for them when they need you. All right. I want to wrap up and I got two more questions to get you out of here with, tell me about some of your upcoming projects. You've listed a whole, you know, a bunch of things that you do with the cycling club that you started and, and yeah. you being a pillar for your family and things there. And then obviously the stores. So tell me about some things you got coming up and what you're working on. Business wise. You know, there's a challenging labor shortage out there. So, um, I, I, it's not a project, um, but it's, uh, it's hiring. So, um, since, since 2000, I've been recruiting from UW Whitewater. So 21 years. Um, and last year we couldn't be on campus. You know, kids weren't, uh, back at school. So, uh, September 2nd, um, Thursday, September 2nd, we're back on campus. So it's a big deal. I'm going to have, uh, five, four leaders there, another full-time employee. And, you know, we just increased our, you know, hourly wage from 10 to $15 an hour. And, uh, so I'm super excited short term here that, um, we've got this, uh, hiring event that at UW Whitewater. Um, personally too, um, I, I mentioned, you know, my twin girls. So both of them have just graduated from college. So I'm trying to help them, you know, get their career starts. And uh, just through, you know, networking and, you know, my one daughter had a phone screen yesterday and she had a interview today. And that was, again, through someone, you know, that I knew that that developed. Um, and I've spoken in this podcast just about my passion about people development. Well, when I can put that full court press, you know, in, in fact, for my kids, you know, how good that feels. So if, if you want to call that a project, yeah, it's a big deal because, 
you know what? And you remember that time when you're coming out of college and, or, or you're going to go to grad school like you did, you know, you're trying to find out, you know, where's your place or how do you get started? And, you know, it, it's, it's challenging, you know, but there's ways to attack it, you know, and I love that. I love helping people, you know, get after that. And here it is my own kids. So, you know, that, that's a, you know, a really big deal for me right now is to unfold and help, help them uh, get traction on their careers. So. Well, and I love that you use attack it, right? You don't just let things come and happen. You have to go out and pursue it and make things happen. Hey, listen, you know, I've told my kids all along and they know it and you understand it growing up in Waterloo, right? No, no one just, no one hands it to us. No one hands it to us, you know, and if you're going to, and you, you, you have a, uh, not a, sh- a short run, but you know, life goes fast and you know that you're a young parent and, you know, look at your career to date. Things happen fast. And, and let's face it. If you don't have any goal setting along the ways, you're going to reflect back and have regrets because life happens, you know, so it's important that, yeah, you, that you're great at your work. You know, that you're a great dad, you're a great husband, but you also, if you're not taking care of all those things, you know what? Yeah. Is is it ordinary or extraordinary? You know what I mean? Absolutely. All right. So a little bit more of a lighthearted note here to get you out of here with and make you think a bit. <laughs> use, use your oh, imagination. No. I know you have a good one. I I remember this from you. <laughs> you and I and Sharon Yim. Yeah, <laughs> you, you got to come through with some creativity, right? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not that good at that. So we'll see. I have faith in you. <laughs> okay. Imagine your refrigerator now or at some point in your life. And if you could yeah. pick one item out of that refrigerator that best represents who you are <laughs> as a person and why that item represents you, what item is that? Okay, so this is what I'm going to speak to, and I and I and I think you'll you won't edit this. <laughs> so, and it's and it is who I am. You know, I'm appreciative. I'm appreciative of food. Period. Because when I, when I go grocery shopping, I don't take it for granted that I can fill up my grocery cart and buy anything that I want. You know, and. And I do that honestly every time I go to the grocery store that I can put anything I want into, into, you know, my, um, uh, shopping cart, if you will. And, um, you know, food, it's not, it can't even be one food because I have such an appreciation for food and, and, and good food. And, and so do my kids. My kids were raised that way. Um, so, um, food is, general for me um whether it's i'm forced to buy what whatever i want um and then you know uh the this the quality of food is uh yeah my my family and i we just appreciate that yeah that's all i got man it's not that good (laughs) it's what you make of it right well tk i appreciate the time and the information Thanks for coming on The Competitive Mindset and sharing your story. Great. Thanks, Billy. Be sure to subscribe, rate, leave a review, and follow us at Competitive Pod.
Competitive Mindset Music was produced by DJ Jojo Moore, and all images were created by Elena Keel. 